Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's guest is Renata Hlumska, and Renata is a professional adventurer who brings an incredible history, having reached the seven summits, or the highest points on each continent. And today she joins me to talk about another expedition, one that doesn't involve high peaks, but one that does have great personal meaning to her to circumnavigate the continental U.S. by kayak and bicycle. Before we get to our chat with Renata, James and Simon at OnlineSeaKayaking.com continue to produce great content to help you evolve as a paddler and as a coach. And if you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, here's your opportunity to get started. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com. Use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. And Level 6 continues to be a great supporter of Paddling the Blue, and we have a special offer just for you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other fun kit from them, visit their website at level6.com. Use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order there as well. And with that, enjoy today's episode with Renata Hlumska. Hello, Renata. Welcome to Peddling the Blue. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You've got a fascinating story uh, from mountaineering to cycling to paddling to everything in between. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, I'm uh, born and raised in uh, the southern parts of Sweden, but my parents are from the Czech Republic. And uh, when I grew up, nature and the outdoors have has always been something that has you know been there uh, in the family and we used to do hiking and camping and 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 paddling uh, so that's that's where i've got my inspiration from so i've always been an adventurer but for the last 25 years i'm a professional adventurer and i'm fortunate enough to have my passion as my profession that's fantastic so You have quite a mountaineering background. Yes, which is kind of strange because I'm born and raised in the southern parts of Sweden where it's completely flat. (laughs) But I've always enjoyed um, challenges and putting myself in situations that I'm not sure I can manage or because that's when I believe that you learn and you grow and you yeah get new insights. And uh, I started climbing when I was 21 and fell in love with the sport and fell in love with my climbing instructor and was fortunate enough to get to go on a Mount Everest expedition as base camp manager and spent almost eight, yeah, almost two months in base camp at the foot of Mount Everest and uh, felt instantly that I wanted to go higher and got that opportunity and and started to really get involved in climbing and deepening my knowledges and skills and eventually stood on the summit myself. Okay, so that was uh, 1999, you are summiting, correct? Yes, that's true. And before then I was... I went to Shisha Pangma, became the first Swedish woman above 8,000 meters and climbed in Sweden and the Alps and uh, and the U.S. So just discovering the mountains. Okay. Well, congratulations there. And then uh, you went on to to reach the remaining of the seven summits, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when I started climbing or the dream of Mount Everett was born, I instantly felt that I wanted to do the seven summits because I had read the books and was so inspired by that project and wanted to 
not just discover the mountains, but I guess the whole world. And then uh, through uh, a number of things that led you to Around America. Yes, All that's right. correct. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that trip. Well, um, Göran Kropp, who was my late fiancé, who was a, a climber, um, we did a lot of our expeditions together and we kind of wanted to wanted to do something new. And we paddled quite a bit in our spare time uh, and combined it with climbing, but we wanted to take it to a new level. And we had set our sights on the US and we were thinking about relocating and wanted to kind of discover the US in our own way. And so this paddling expedition started to take form to uh, circumnavigate the lower 48 states by our own strength and in that way yeah, discovering this new country that we were moving to. But then when Joran was killed in a climbing accident I decided to try and fulfill that mutual dream by myself and eventually did. So tell us about the trip itself. Well the whole idea was to yeah, circumnavigate the lower 48 states so not Alaska, not uh, Hawaii. I didn't want to be out for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, still making it kind of possible. And um, uh, I started on the 4th of uh, July in uh, 2005 uh, in Seattle at Lake Union, uh, downtown Seattle. And then I paddled the Pacific coast from Seattle down to San Diego. And I had originally thought I was going to walk along the Mexican border uh, to the Gulf of Mexico, but then I figured out that that's going to probably take too long. And I love to bicycle, so I bicycled along the uh, US-Mexican border uh, past yeah, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, all the way to Brownsville in Texas. And then I continued paddling around the Gulf of Mexico, around Florida, all the way down to the Keys. And then headed north along the Atlantic coast all the way up to Maine to Eastport. And then I followed the Canadian border back again to Seattle. Wow. All right. So <laughs> 11,300 miles over 40, 439 days. You covered 32 states. Yes. Wow. Uh, and I was kind of felt, I think I'm pretty glad today that I didn't realize how big America is <laughs> until I actually started because I mean it's just it's huge <laughs> yeah so what did you experience along the way let's 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 kind of walk through the the trip well first of all, let me ask this were you solo or assisted uh, it was a solo expedition in that sense that nobody uh, did the whole route with me and I didn't get support from the outside but uh, I wasn't completely alone on all the stretches uh, or all the legs. For instance, when I bicycled along the Mexican border in the south, I did have company uh, for several reasons, uh, just because of the company, because I, I enjoy doing things with others. I don't necessarily have to do everything by myself or on my own but also for being able to film and document it better and then also for safety reasons. I felt much safer by myself on the ocean and in the rivers than on land. So when I were doing, was doing longer crossings on land, then I tried to have somebody who, who could accompany me. Okay. 
So let's start with the uh, the West Coast uh, journey. So tell us about the paddling part on the West Coast from Seattle uh, down to San Diego. Uh, I mean, that was probably the, the most, or it was the most uh, challenging part of the whole expedition, but also in many ways the most beautiful one. I mean, the Pacific Coast is... Um, it's quite isolated in many parts, which also made it feel like I was doing something that not, or saw something that not, not many people had seen before. And the wildlife and the, I mean, all the, the small um, coves and, and beaches and, and uh, bays. I mean, it was just fantastic to pitch my tent and feel like I was on a deserted beach somewhere that nobody had been on before uh, and then you have the the waves I mean the the swells were of course very challenging but uh, I knew that it was going to be a hard hard time so that was nothing new or I was uh, very well aware of that and I had been on the uh, Pacific Coast training uh, so I knew what what to expect uh, but I started with that kind of feeling that I was the strongest and also that I hit the time frame uh, exactly because I wanted to do the Pacific Coast in the summer. Okay. So I imagine that that was probably the most technically challenging part of the paddling. Yes, it was. As soon as I was packed in the morning and was going to get head out, uh, I met those huge waves and, uh, and they were, you know, crashing against the shore and there is no way to, to get around them. You have to go through them. <laughs> and with a fully packed kayak that weighed over 100 kilos, I'm not sure how much that is in pounds, but it's quite heavy. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not so easily maneuvered if going out from the shore was still okay then going back up on shore was uh, even more sketchy because then I had the waves from behind and to surf on the waves with that fully loaded boat uh, after 8, 10, maybe 12 hours of paddling it was very very difficult so I have you know been tossed around in those waves uh, many times and been washed up on the shore (laughs) like a wet rag and you know thinking what am I doing but then you you dry up and you do the same thing the next day and I found different techniques of how to actually get on shore without being too exposed so I started backing up on shore so I would turn the the front of the kayak uh, against the waves and actually back up which gave me much more control how did you develop your paddling skills to to do this trip? I did all kinds of training and preparation. I mean, I I contacted people who were much better and skilled paddlers than me and asked for their help and their knowledge and their uh, support and was fortunate enough to get it. For instance, when I lived in Seattle, Melon Hanald, who is a former Olympian in whitewater paddling, uh, trained me. So to be able to get her to get that kind of a coach was just fantastic uh, and understand the water. Even if I was not going to be in whitewater, uh, still to understand the water and how the boat moves and acts and what you need to know. And then at home, I live in Jönköping, which is a city close to 
a large uh, lake that uh, the conditions here can be almost like an ocean. So I've been training, uh, been able to train very close at home and I actually been training even indoors in a, in a pool just to get, you know, the get the hang of, of doing the Eskimo turn and everything. So just training in all different kinds of conditions and many times when the weather is the worst, <laughs> not being out when it's calm and sunny, but when it's uh, stormy and cold and rainy. Yeah, train, train for the conditions that you're going to be in so you're prepared. Yeah, exactly. And train for the worst and hope for the best. Right, right. Now, you mentioned remote beaches, um, and you mentioned that the, the coast uh, felt remote. Did you camp the entire time? Yes, uh, I did camp all the time except when I passed larger cities because then that became a challenge to find safe places to, to, to camp when you're passing. I mean, it took me four days to paddle past Los Angeles and I knew I didn't want to pitch a tent on Venice Beach. <laughs> so when I went past larger cities, I would find motels or hotels. And that actually made it much more difficult because when I was on the coast where there were no people, I could maximize the days and, and paddle long days and knowing that I can just pitch my tent and go to sleep and then continue the next morning. But as soon as I had to find hotels, I had to get up on, on land earlier before heart, before it got dark and, and find a motel and then drag in all my equipment into the motel or even I've, I had my kayak actually inside a motel room <laughs> because worried that somebody might you know, steal something or won't leave my stuff alone. So that made it much more difficult. Now, I imagine that, um, you know, the hotels are probably not perfectly situated where they're right on the water. So you had to get your gear there, including the boat. How did you, uh, how did you manage that? Well, I always had a trailer with me. So I had a small trailer that I could, uh, yeah, assemble and disassemble that fitted on the kayak. So I had that in a dry bag. And uh, every time I would stop and, and had to, uh, even if I had to buy food, for instance, I mean, I would had to, I had to plan that. So I knew that I was at a location where I could find a small road that would take me into a small town where I could buy food and then back out to the shore again. So then I could put the trailer together, load the kayak on the trailer, put all my gear in and I had a harness uh, that I could pull the kayak behind me on this small trailer. So I was still always mobile, which was important for me to have that mobility because there were days when the weather, uh, I mean, the swells were just too big and the waves were too big, so it became too dangerous to paddle. So I would walk instead. Right, so some of, the, some of that coast, you, just, you chose to just walk. Well, I mean, yes, I, they, I chose even because uh, it was good for my for my body to get some other movements as, as well and not just sit in the boat the whole time, but mm -hmm. also mostly for safety because, uh, and I didn't, I mean, even if I didn't feel stressed, I had plenty of time. I had like a window of 16 months to do the expedition. I still didn't want to sit and wait just for better weather and better conditions because you might end up waiting for a week and then you do become stressed because you feel like you're falling too much behind schedule. 
So there were days where I could walk and maybe just sometimes half days. I mean, I could start paddling, the weather would turn uh, and there would be, um, you know, could be warnings of, of thunder and lightning and then you don't want to be, or even hurricane warnings, or not hurricane, uh, tornado warnings. There were a lot uh, in some areas. So um, then I wanted to, you know, not be in the water. So I was... Uh, being able to to decide what what way would be the safest to go paddle or walk all right so it's just continuous movements that's uh that's good yeah yeah all right now what did people say when you show up at a grocery store with a kayak strapped to you (laughs) (laughs) they are surprised uh, but in a very positive way they were curious of course wondering what i was what i was doing and where i was coming from and in the first part, when I was paddling on the Pacific, it kind of still made sense when I said that I was, you know, on my way from Seattle. <laughs> uh, they would ask, where did you start uh, in Seattle? That was kind of still made sense. It but didn't make as much sense when people met me on the Atlantic coast. <laughs> they were asking, where did you, you know, where did you start and where are you going? And I'm like, I started in Seattle. Then people had a harder time getting that picture to work, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I had another guest had had done um, uh, what's called the Great Loop, uh, Jake Stahoviak. And so he started in Wisconsin, and he told the story of being in North Carolina, and somebody asked, well, where'd you come from? And he says, Wisconsin. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah. where's your car? He says, well, Wisconsin. <laughs> so yeah. same kind of thing. He said, I've come yeah. from Seattle. Yeah, exactly. And where are you going? Seattle. And we're <laughs> like, okay, is there another Seattle somewhere else that we didn't hear about? Yeah. <laughs> but those encounters were, I mean... That was one of the things that always kept me going uh, and I think made this journey possible because I was, of course, worried in the beginning how people would greet me. But I was, I kind of got back my uh, my belief in humanity because so many people that I met were, I mean, they were friendly, they were hospitable, they were helpful, uh, curious in a very warm and uh, welcoming way and uh, I mean I've actually been adopted uh, three times okay so there was this one family that I met in, uh, in northern California at the campground and they adopted me and uh, the mother of the house uh, Sharon she would call me every Sunday for like I think two months or sorry two years almost (laughs) after the expedition finished because that's when they called all their children and uh, the whole family actually came up and met me uh, when I uh, got back uh, and finished the expedition in Seattle so they they were there to there to greet me again, and that was amazing. I had friends from Sweden who didn't bother to come to the U.S. <laughs> and there was this American family who I just had got to know who who did it. It was just fantastic. Wow, yeah, it always comes down to the goodness of people. Yes. So, how long did the West Coast trip take you? Uh, from Seattle down to San Diego took me two and a half months. And then from there, you, you, you picked up a bicycle. So did you have the bicycle shipped there or did you have to buy a bicycle and then take it from there? I actually bought a bicycle at the, at the bike store. Okay. <laughs> I was going to find a sponsor, but I mean, it was just so much time in the end. So I didn't uh, 
have the time to do that. So I just bought the bicycle. Now, how much, what, what kind of biking experience did you have prior to the trip? Oh, biking is uh, my forte. I okay. think that's how you call it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've always done bicycling. I used to compete in bicycling, actually. Oh, okay. So uh, biking is something that I both enjoy and know how to do. Okay. And I'd also bicycled from Nepal to Sweden. Oh, yeah. Okay. In 96. So I feel very confident on a bike. All right. So now, so now you bicycle from San Diego to... Um, to Brownsville, Texas. Now, how long did that take? Uh, that took approximately, uh, did it take three months or something? I, and I also paddled uh, parts of the Rio Grande. Okay. Uh, that was another highlight. I mean, it's so hard to choose which part of the expeditions, you know, is my favorite. But the Rio Grande and Big Bend National Park, fantastic. Such a hidden such a hidden jewel, uh, really, really beautiful. All right. So tell us what was so special about that area. I mean, it's just the canyon that you paddle through and uh, the landscape and the nature. It was so different from anything else I had paddled before. To actually take advantage of the, the river stream, uh, the current, not having to fight the waves all the time and to just sit and glide in the water and and see this beautiful nature around you um, and you have these optical illusions where the canyon or the rocks have lines in them uh, and they kind of make you sometimes feel like you're going downhill or uphill so you get these optical illusions it was just completely different experience and I, that's actually something i would love to go back and do both uh, with uh, yeah with friends or, uh, or even with my kids i would love to show them okay the big Bend national park yeah now how um uh, what kind of distance did you paddle there oh i don't know exactly the distance on top of my head but right. i think i paddled for like two weeks on the on the river yeah okay now, what did you do with the bicycle there? And how did you how did you connect with the bicycle after that part of the trip? Yeah, I got help to get that located to where uh, where I was going to get out of the water again. Okay. So that was just logistics. Got okay. help with that. Yeah. But otherwise, everything I had in the kayak, I mean, I still, I had the, the kayak and all my equipment with me. It was just the bikes and the bike bags that I got help with with transporting. All right. So then you make it to Brownsville, Texas. And, yes. uh, and tell us about that, that paddling leg. That's a long paddling leg. Yes. And unfortunately, I couldn't do the uh, paddle as much as I wanted on the around the Gulf of Mexico. So I did parts of the intracoastal waterway. Okay. But uh, the Hurricane Katarina that mm. was the year when that struck that coast and Louisiana, Mississippi and Alabama and parts of, well, even parts of Texas. Yeah. Um, I was um, advised not to go uh, because, I mean, there was not just debris in the water, but it was going to be hard for me to find find fresh water and to uh, stock up on food and everything. So I paddled parts of the... Um, parts of the coast of 
Texas and then before getting into Louisiana I actually started bicycling so I managed to my bicycle was going to get shipped up to Maine but I managed to get it back and actually bicycle past Louisiana Mississippi and okay. Alabama just right. yeah. so you were coming through right you know at the time yeah. that all that was happening for yes. uh, Katrina and that was uh, uh, of course, very unfortunate. Not, I mean, for me, I was uh, I was in good health, and so nothing happened to me. But to see that disaster, the tragedy, and and what had happened there, and people had lost. I mean, their their homes and and family, and and uh, that kind of became uh, a bit challenging because. I had a harder time trying to explain what I was doing, (laughs) why I was there. Uh, People were going through the most difficult time of their life and I was going to, I was trying to fulfill, you know, a dream and have the best time of my life. So, um, and to stay in motels where, and take up space. I mean, I had a hard time finding rooms in motels because everything was uh, occupied. So I just tried to kind of make uh, my way through there without, uh, yeah, uh, Yeah. without disturbing too much and just pass that area as quickly as possible. And um, it just was very poor timing. I could see how that would be, that would be challenging. Again, I mean, I just couldn't imagine the forces uh, until I kind of saw them myself and I was glad that I took the op- that I made the decision to to bicycle. But still, it, I wish I had had. You know, I hope to maybe go revisit sometime also just to see it in the right light, so to speak. Well, I have been in in Louisiana before, but uh, to maybe yeah go paddle that coast would be really nice to do sometime. The right. Delta of Mississippi. I can just imagine that it must be fantastic. So where did you put back on the water? In uh, the west parts of uh, Florida. And then what was that uh, What was that paddling like? like? Oh, that was nice. I mean, you have the whole uh, west coast of Florida is really beautiful with the, with the islands. And there was also part of the like channels around Naples and so on. So that was really nice. And, uh, and all the way down to uh, the Everglades. I mean, that was... That was a very pleasant paddling. And then up the intercoastal waterway, as you mentioned, and then up to Maine. Uh, well, the intercoastal waterway is around the Gulf of right. uh, Mexico. So then I went uh, around the Everglades and I actually went all the way down to Key West. Oh, okay. So I rounded Key West. Uh, and that was a bit of a challenge, the Everglades, actually, to find safe camp- campgrounds there. <laughs> I want to wake up having... Uh, alligators, uh, <laughs> you know, wondering what's uh, kind of biting on your toes or something. <laughs> so, and the tide was a challenge because it's so flat. The difference in altitude on the ground is not so. You have to, I had to drag my kayak for you know a long, long distance, avoiding the tide. Because, but you don't get so much elevation even if you drag the kayak for a long. Uh, long part or distance so I actually woke up one morning and um, my tent was wet because the tide I hadn't I hadn't pulled it high enough and pitched my tent high enough 
right. so yeah. um, and uh, no yeah sent so there I rounded the keys and then I continued north along the Atlantic coast yes all right in the Everglades are there other camping platforms yes but they were sometimes they were off route okay. so it was like not always I you know, trying to still find the the straightest way. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not just a few nights, it's quite many nights. So then you, you want to make it the straightest way possible. Now, this part of the journey, is, it, I'm guessing that it's much more populated. Yes, it is. I mean, compared to the Pacific Coast, there's it's it's harder to find places to camp because it's much more private beaches uh, there's houses all the way up to the to the, the the beach line so i did much more what i call combat landings which means that i would get up on shore late at night when it was kind of already getting dark and i would leave really really early in the morning before anybody saw me and sometimes i didn't even pitch my tent okay i would uh, just yeah sleep in my in my bivy bag my sleeping bag and and uh, Gore-Tex bag and and would uh, yeah leave early in the morning so kind of your fast and light alpine style yeah. in and out yeah. done yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> now did you use the barrier islands oh alone yeah now you're higher yes uh, absolutely no that's um, yeah I, there was there I remember also that tide uh, was uh, was challenging but you have both uh, Georgia and South and North Carolina was really really beautiful paddling so tell us about some of the people you met along uh, along the way along the east coast well I did have some stops uh, one of my sponsors Helly Hansen had, had made some stops along the way uh, so I did some stops uh, to do some PR events actually in Georgia, for instance, which was uh, really, really nice and good time to just have have the opportunity to recalibrate and uh, get to meet people. It's one thing meeting people that are strangers the whole time, and it's one thing meeting people who know you. So that was nice to have those milestones. And the same time, same thing in um, in New York. Uh, so I actually got to paddle up the Hudson River and uh, and stayed in New York a few days to do a bit of, of media and uh, that was just nice to reconnect with friendly or f- well not just friendly people but I mean friend- faces that I knew from before sure and familiar to folks f- familiar folks yes exactly thank you mm-hmm. um, so those milestones were really important but there I think in general on the east coast i Probably try to not avoid, but try to uh, not, uh, yeah, just find places to camp and uh, where there were not uh, people, because that was actually what I was kind of most afraid of, that I would, you know, people would see a lonely woman paddling and that things would, you know, become uh, dangerous. So. Yeah. I was uh, avoiding people in that sense. Now, did you run across any of those kinds of situations? I had a couple of uh, incidents that actually didn't escalate into anything, but still I was on very cautious. I was uh, on my toes and um, 
always kind of prepared, had a plan of what to say and how to act. And there was a, f- a few incidents where I thought I had pitched my tent and had made, um, you know, decided where to camp for the night, uh, feeling like nobody knew I was there. And then some solitary fisherman comes walking on the beach and and fishes or or and then leaves again and then that makes me worried because I don't know who he's gonna meet and tell that you know I saw this lady camping on the beach and and so on so I when that had happened I many times just packed my stuff together and left again okay Uh, or I even actually slept in my uh, in my dry suit uh, thinking that if something happens then I can get escape into the water because okay. I didn't always feel so safe on land. Okay. But yeah, I've been uh, had some encounters with some flashers, I think you call it. Oh, okay. Well. Wow. <laughs> but that yeah, that can happen in Sweden as well, so I'm used to that. All right. <laughs> so then you make your way up the east coast uh, to where? Uh, to uh, Eastport up in Maine. Okay. And how did you do, how did you determine Eastport to be your end location? Oh, I don't remember. I think I looked at the map okay. <laughs> and thought that's uh, that's going to be a good point to to stop paddling and start biking again. All right, and then so there from there you uh, picked up the bike and and the trailer and trailered your your kayak the rest of the way. Yeah, I did some paddling through the uh, through the lakes, uh, through the Great Lakes. And then f- actually went into Canada on one section. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, then I bicycled the last part to Seattle. Okay. Now, do you remember I wanted way? to, I, wa- I, I had a small idea in the beginning of, of paddling the, the, ca- the boundary canoe waters. I think that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah, uh, the boundary but, waters, sure. Yeah, the boundary waters. But at that point, yeah. I figured I'm going to come back and do that some other time. I was looking forward to to getting back home. And do you remember your Great Lakes route? Uh, Not from the top of my head. Okay. Uh, No, I don't. I'm actually in the Great Lakes region. I was just curious. You are? Oh. Yes, I am. Well, I went to Mackinac Island. Oh, okay. That's just (laughs) two hours from me here. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, no, I would have to to sit down with the map in front of me and tell you exactly the the route I did. All right. So from Eastport, threading through the Great Lakes, threading through land and then threading through the Great Lakes and then uh, running across the the rest of the U.S., how long did that part take you? Well, I think I was... uh, Well, I ended back in Seattle on September uh, 15th and I was... uh, 4th of, I, I remember celebrating the Canadian National Day, actually in Canada. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, I could have started that section maybe sometime in May. Uh, that's, not, that's not too long then to make that, no. uh, that trek across the rest of the yeah. U.S. Well, the last part was biking. So then yeah. again, bicycling goes, is a bit, a bit faster than the, the kayaking. Tell me about the experience going along the, the north of the U.S. Uh, very windy. Okay. I mean, uh, North uh, Dakota and Montana, I mean, it was just uh, 
it, it felt like I had a fan in my face <laughs> for, <laughs> or a hairdryer, actually. <laughs> yeah, a hairdryer uh, in my face for forever because it was hot, it was windy and... Uh, just wanting to look for sh- just trying to find shade i remember it was really really warm then knowing that i'm going to cross the rocky mountains again which i had done once living in uh, san diego uh, but then it got cooler i kind of prefer the colder uh, climate than oh, yeah. when it becomes too hot so then it was nice again up in the up in the mountains but i mean montana was was beautiful i actually passed through um, i was in the north so i didn't uh, in the beginning i wasn't sure if i was going to go south of the lakes or north of the lakes mm-hmm. but i was recommended to avoid um, large cities like detroit for instance so i went went north instead okay but it was i mean the I remember Minnesota was really, really beautiful. Uh, so there is some really nice country there. Oh, absolutely. You know, good good choice. The, the North Country yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, and Wisconsin. I think I passed through Wisconsin also. It was just fantastic. Now, um, yeah, you're go- and you're going east to west in the summer. Mm-hmm. So prevailing winds are west to east. So you're right. You've had a, a hot fan in your, in your face yeah, the entire time. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how that. And would which be. Uh, which state are you in then? Michigan or? I'm in Michigan. Yes. Yeah. So how did you um, how did you fund the trip? Oh, I mean many different ways. I saved up money from my previous expeditions and the speeches that I've done. It's kind of all goes into to the next expedition uh, and next project. So. I mean, my, my expeditions are investments that I capitalize on when I come back home and whatever earnings I make, I get in, start planning new projects and new expeditions. And then, of course, I had sponsors that helped out and, and partners that collaborated, uh, companies that uh, I worked with. Uh, but uh, So it's a combination of okay. uh, self-funded and, uh, and sponsored now, tell us about wildlife experiences that you had along the way. Oh, I've paddled with uh, with sea lions, uh, sea otters, uh, with uh, I've seen whales, uh, dolphins. Uh, I mean, the and just the Pacific coast was fantastic. I've seen black bears. Uh, I mean, yeah, even tarantulas in the desert and. And rattlesnakes, black widows. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, and alligators, of course, and bird life. I mean, just been really, really nice. And okay. that's made it, um, that's added to the whole experience of feeling that you have these beautiful wildlife encounters. Sure. What scared you along the way? Again, I would have to say civilization. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, nature can be scary, but nature at least, I never felt like I was threatened. But uh, when passing through some cities, you know, when just when it gets too dark and uh, you are in neighborhoods that you don't aren't familiar with those i think are the moments that i kind of felt most scared even if nothing happened and it's not like i 
were walking around and feeling really scared, but just knowing that the potential of danger is felt higher in civilization and amongst people and in cities than it did in nature. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um, you know, you're you're more vulnerable there. You're less vulnerable on the water when you're away from things. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think nature is much more predictable. Yeah, I would believe that. How many days off did you take along the way? Do you remember? I know I have it written down. I mean, okay. I did a, I kept a very close journal and a close diary, uh, a close diary, and I would, you know, put in every kilometer that I paddled and what the weather conditions were like, and and of course I took days off. Sometimes when something broke, uh, often I didn't have days scheduled time off so it wasn't like I was going to paddle Friday to Saturday and then I would take Sunday off because that day it might be a a tailwind and then I wanted to continue paddling so I took days off when something would happen or if I would get sick or something would break then I would kind of combine that day off with fixing things so I guess I never really had real day off (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, but no i did i actually took uh, some time off in florida i took a day off um, that was because of weather uh, along the gulf of mexico in texas Uh, i took time off well i took a whole week off when i got to san diego because i uh, was giving the news that my older brother had passed away in Sweden Mm. so I actually uh, flew to Sweden to be with the family for a week uh, before I decided to fly back and and continue I'm sorry to hear unexpected challenges in life speaking of unexpected what did you experience along the way that was unexpected oh I would like just on the top of my head kind of say that I really ex- was prepared for everything okay. <laughs> because I've planned this expedition. I mean, the idea was born in 2000 and I started paddling in 2005. So I lived and, you know, dreamt and thought about this expeditions for five years. So m- many scenarios and things that I you know, could happen and would happen and how I would cope with that had already been played out in my head, all different kinds of scenarios and possibilities and, and encounters and so on. But I think what, what I, so I was really, I was very, very prepared and even prepared for not knowing what was going to happen. I mean, that's, I think, one of the key things you have to be as an adventurer, you have to be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, but still, yeah. What was your preparation process? I mean, besides the the paddling and the physical training, it's very much um, the mental preparation of seeing myself in the different situations, seeing myself pitching a tent uh, on the coast. What can happen? What if somebody comes? Uh, how will I act? What are do I have a safety plan if I get injured? I mean, how will I communicate? What will I eat? How will I plan my uh, to be able to buy food? I mean, all those, that's, you know, I have a long list of things that I have to, uh, that I go through and check and, and, and learn and, and prepare. 
quite early in the planning, I, I, I drove the entire Washington coast because I thought that that was going to give me good preparation for what to expect. But what that made me realize is that even if I would drive the entire coastline, it will not help because today it's sunny, tomorrow it's going to be warm, different weather, and I really have to be able to adapt to whatever conditions I will meet. Uh, and not having fixed places to to pitch a tent, but to being able to to manage my paddling and have those skills that I am very flexible and where I get up on land. Because there will be days when I have to paddle shorter and there will be days when I can paddle longer and just feel very confident in my capacity and my skills. Um, so a lot of training and prepare, preparation happens also in, in, in the head, mentally. And so that, those five years of, of planning paid off. They really did. I mean, I remember I was a bit disappointed and, and frustrated when it took me longer to... I, I wanted to start in 2003, but I didn't get the proper visa. Uh, it took me longer with the U.S. immigration to get the paper and visa in order. So that added another two years. And those two years I'm very grateful for because uh, it made me go through the expedition uh, again and again and again and, and really uh, prepare mentally and physically. Yeah, and you mentioned driving that coast and you know, how, how that may have been helpful, uh, but the, the coast looks a whole lot different from a vehicle than it does from a kayak. It sure does. And I think, I mean, I know that there are paddlers who are much more technically skilled than I am, but... I knew at the same time that I have to have a certain level, of course, when it comes to my paddling, but it's still being able to be adaptable and, and flexible and agile and, and, and uh, you know, facing the, all the, the obstacles that will occur along the way and finding the motivations to continue when there's days that are gray and rainy and cold and to get out of that tent and to manage to actually pack in the morning and get into the boat and decide to paddle, that is all about mental strength. Yeah, and your expedition planning and uh, expedition experience has certainly helped. It helped me, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's just another expedition. It's just, it just happens to be a different mode of transportation. Yeah, and a fantastic mode of transportation. Yes. So September 15th, 2006, um, you come back into Seattle. What was that experience like? Oh, um, I mean, such a, such a relief <laughs> in many ways, uh, but such a joy, happiness. I mean, I was so proud of what I had accomplished and the joy of, of seeing all those friends and, and family and, and sponsors who had been there and wishing me good luck all those months ago that they were there now welcoming me back and I mean of course at that point I was uh, I was really looking forward to not having to uh, wake up the next day and pack all my gear again and start paddling. I think that was one of the things that were the hardest to pack and unpack and pack and unpack and constantly be on the move. 
even if you're on a climbing expedition, you have your base camp and you, you're settled in one place, even if it's a remote place and it's, it's primitive, it's still, you know, it becomes your home. Here I, I was moving uh, every day, which uh, was, which in itself was a challenge. So just knowing that I will wake up tomorrow and I don't have to uh, paddle was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> And the mayor of Seattle declared it a, a day in your honor. Yes, he declared it Renata Klumska's day. So I have my own day in Seattle. That was, that was such an honor. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So what did this trip mean to you? It meant very much on different levels. I mean, just to be able to to fulfill a mutual dream that Joran and I had uh, was a big thing for me. I started, I left Seattle on Independence Day, 4th of July. And for me, this was uh, kind of a journey into independence. Uh, I always knew I was an adventurer, uh, but living with uh, such a great adventurer as Joran was, people sometimes wondered, you know, if I did it for him or if I did it, you know, if that's why I did the things that I did while he was still alive. But for me to kind of really learn and, and not prove, but to, to really f find out that this is me uh, was, was also big. And then, um, yeah, to, to, f to experience everything that I did, all the people that I met and, and, um, uh, all those memories that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. It's just, uh, I feel really, really fortunate to have been able to do this and to that I believed in myself and that others believed in me that this is possible. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier, um, earlier in the conversation, uh, we were talking about biking experience, and you mentioned the paddle or the uh, biking from Sweden, Sweden to Nepal. Oh, Nepal to Sweden. Uh, You're on bicycle, yeah down to Nepal and then I joined him going back home yeah yes all right and that was that was chronicled in the, in the book ultimate high um exactly so okay. that is a book about Joran's uh, the whole Sweden Everest solo expedition uh, which I was a part of yeah. and I spent uh, all those week in in Bakes camp and I met Rob Hall and I met Scott Fisher and I saw this huge tragedy unfold uh, in, in base camp. And then uh, when Joran summited on his third attempt without oxygen, uh, still the expedition wasn't over because he was going to bicycle back home and I joined him. Yeah, yeah that, that's quite a story as well. So uh, cycling from Sweden to Nepal, climbing without supplemental oxygen and then returning back with you. Yeah, and he actually carried all his equipment to base camp. So he carried his uh, all the climbing gear, all the food he would need for the expedition. So he wanted to do this completely unsupported and and solo, uh, which he eventually had to had to turn down that idea very much due to the accident that happened. But that was uh, that was also a, an epic expedition. Yes. Well, I will also, uh, I'll, I'll include a link in, in the show notes <laughs> to that book as well so people can uh, yeah. see that. It is quite a story. It is. So, so what's next for you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, 
new dreams and, and goals and, and uh, places I want to see and visit. And my next adventure is actually a completely different one. I'm booked to go to space. Really? Wow. Yes. All right. So yeah. tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, space is something that has always intrigued me and fascinated me. And I thought that, you know, would even for me probably never happen, not be possible. Uh, but uh, today it is possible. So I actually have purchased a ticket with Virgin Galactic and will um, get the, the view from outside Earth and see the world from a completely different new perspective, hopefully within a year. Wow. And uh, experience weightlessness. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. It is. And if I find some water in space, I will definitely bring my kayak. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So where can people learn more about you and uh, and your trips? I have a a website, www.renataklumska.com. I'm also on Instagram, which is also my name, Renata Klumska, uh, on Facebook. So if you Google Renata Klumska, you will find me. I will make sure that I put uh, links in the show notes so folks can... uh, direct themselves to the website and those other resources and, and learn more about you and your uh, you you do speaking engagements around the world correct yes i do and i was actually just uh, rewarded and won the prize for speaker of the year uh-huh. uh, in the category of motivation so i do a lot of uh, inspiration and motivational speeches mostly for companies and corporations the expeditions and the adventures and the mountains and the seas, I mean, there are fantastic metaphors for challenges that we meet in our day-to-day work and or day-to-day lives and in, in business. Uh, I mean, the way of reaching the top uh, is pretty much the same, no matter what the, what the that specific top or destination looks like. Well, congratulations on the award, and it has certainly been inspirational to speak with you today. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Yeah. So I do have one final question for you, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Oh, um, well, uh, there's probably several, but if I'm thinking of one person, I actually mentioned her, uh, Malon Hanald, who was my my coach when I did my uh, Around America adventure. She would be a great guest. Uh, And then I have one more. Can I have two? Oh, sure. Yeah? Yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, James Venimore, who also is a a dear friend, who also was there in the beginning when I started paddling, and he has a kayaking business in Sweden. He's from New Zealand, and paddling is his his passion and he's a he's a great guy and he has a lot of good stories so that's another person you would enjoy listening to excellent well i will connect with you separately and uh, we'll <laughs> make a connection with uh, with james and melon great well thank you very much again it's been very very it's been wonderful speaking to you today very inspirational i've loved hearing about your journey and happy to have the opportunity to share it thank you so much thank you if you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler power to the paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, 
Use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient. Have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. 11,300 miles over 439 days covering 32 states. Another amazing adventure in a long list of accomplishments. Mountains, water, land, and her next adventure is now going to be space. Thank you, Renata, for sharing your story with us. And you can find out more about Renata, her adventures, and her speaking opportunities at her website. I'll have links in the show notes for this episode, number 91, at www.paddlingtheblue.com. We also talked a little bit about Jorin Krupp toward the end of the interview and his own mountaineering claim to fame. I read the book Ultimate High many years ago, and he rode his bicycle with all of his climbing gear from Sweden to Nepal, climbed Everest without supplemental oxygen, came down, and then rode back home to Sweden. And I'll have a link to that book as well, Ultimate High, in the show notes so you can check it out. Thanks to our partners at Level 6 and OnlineSeaKayaking.com for extended special offers to you. And if you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, visit their website at level6.com. Use the coupon code PTBPODCAST to check out for 10% off your order. And visit onlineseakayaking.com to take advantage of the great video programming from James and Simon and other talented guests, including previous guests of Paddling the Blue. And enter the code PTBPODCAST at checkout and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Our next guest is Dennis Dwyer. And Dennis has had a few journeys of his own, having driven from Louisiana to Alaska more than once. And Dennis has written a couple of books on paddling Prince William Sound and the Inside Passage, as well as running a popular online group dedicated to Inside Passage paddlers. So until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.